Okay, friends, we'll go ahead and get started. Please turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and I'll read verses 8 and following. Love never ends, as for prophecies they will pass away, as for tongues they will cease, as for knowledge it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word, and thank you for your love poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. And we thank you that uh, this is not only the case, but you have demonstrated your love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you that uh, this love is uh, uh, not uh, uh, simply uh, something uh, that is nebulous, uh, but is perfectly described for us in the scriptures. And uh, we thank you that as we understand this is the case, that we have uh, a better uh, opportunity to live the love that you are pleased to give to us. So bless us to this end, and as we uh, continue our study in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. We pray that you'll uh, bless us and uh, give us grace and strength and understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, again, the uh, uh, text, 1 Corinthians 13, gives us in the first uh, few verses the contrast uh, between love and uh, various special gifts. And then uh, in verses 4 and following, we have uh, uh, the description of love that uh, the Apostle gives us. And then uh, Paul uh, goes on to explain to us that uh, the special gifts cease. And uh, what we're saying is that uh, the special gifts cease as... Uh, standard or normative or regular signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, and love uh, becomes the, the, the standard or the normative sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so th- this is how uh, we're understanding the paragraph, uh, especially when it says, uh, that uh, tongues uh, will cease. Love never ends as prophecies they will pass away, as for tongues they will cease, as for knowledge it will pass away. 
Uh, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And uh, we're arguing, uh, at least this is the position I'm taking, is that the perfect is uh, the perfect Word of God. And uh, when the perfect comes, that is when the canon is complete and when the canon is closed and we have uh, the fullness of Scripture, uh, then uh, uh, love uh, becomes the normative sign, the regular, the standard sign for our uh, uh, judging the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in our own lives and in uh, the lives of uh, members of the congregation and the lives of others. Uh, now we come to uh, th- this text uh, in uh, verse 12. It's actually the latter part of verse 12. Uh, verse 12 reads, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be known fully, even as I have been fully known. And uh, it appears uh, at first glance that uh, uh, the idea here is that uh, you'll have uh, a time when uh, you and I will be uh, known uh, fully and embraceably in every respect. And, and this can only come uh, at uh, the end of time when Christ comes a second time in glory and we enter heaven. And uh, this idea of being fully known as we are also known fully. Uh, part of the problem uh, with this argument is that uh, we will never come uh, to a time when we know fully. That is, uh, even in heaven, we will uh, be in a state where we remain creatures. <laughs> uh, we do not come become gods. We remain creatures. And as creatures... Uh, we will not know all. Only God knows everything. Only God has an expansive knowledge of every aspect of your life and my life and an expansive knowledge of everything in the universe. Only God knows all. And we will never uh, attain uh, uh, that place. We will never come to that level. And uh, I think one of the wonderful things about heaven is the fact that when we reach heaven, we'll be continuing to learn more and more about the goodness and the grace and the splendor and the love of God. Uh, This is a great thing. And uh, so uh, the text cannot mean uh, that we will uh, attain to a place where we will know fully uh, so, uh, th- this is one of the aspects uh, of uh, what we're wrestling with. Uh, uh, one of the aspects of the things that, that uh, we're wrestling with. And uh, so, uh, looking at the, the outline now, uh, again, our basic premise is love is the normative sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit for this present age. Special gifts, prophecy, knowledge, and tongues have ceased to be the normative sign of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Tongues cease, as we've said, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, as the normative sign when the perfect Scripture is complete, when the canon is closed. 
at the end of the apostolic age. Now, uh, here I want to emphasize a point that uh, our pastor uh, has brought up a couple of of times, uh, which I think is important. And that is, uh, some of us have had uh, certain experiences. And I related the fact that uh, at one point there was a voice that uh, affirmed to me that I would go to seminary and others have had uh, similar types of experiences. And uh, our pastor has rightly said uh, that we ought not to be concerned uh, if we have had, not have had such uh, experiences. Uh, and one of the reasons we should not be concerned about this is, is these experiences are not the test of whether or not we're in Christ They're not the test of whether or not the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. These are not the test. The test is love in us that the kind of love in us that is described by the Apostle Paul. Love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc. And so we should understand that this is the case. Love is the preeminent sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not special experiences that we may or may not have had. Last week, after class, I also had this question. What about folks who appear to have great love but lack biblical understanding? And uh, part of the reason that a question like this uh, comes up is that uh, I think uh, we forget, and I include myself in this, we forget the overall context in which uh, our passage uh, comes to us, uh, where the Apostle Paul is speaking about spiritual things and uh, the passage, the context of the passage uh, begins with chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, uh, the uh, English reads, and uh, the original language can be translated, now uh, concerning spiritual things or spiritual matters, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And the very first spiritual matter, uh, you may recall, that the Apostle Paul zeroes in on is our confession of faith. Verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, in or by the Holy Spirit. So so the basic confession is that Jesus Christ is Lord, and to to, uh, speak those words and really mean what you say, in other words, to speak those words from the heart uh, is a manifestation of the Spirit. Uh, This is real important, isn't it? And it's in this context of this confession of faith uh, that we find 1 Corinthians 13. So uh, the whole idea of love here is embraced by this confession of faith and a proper understanding 
of who Jesus Christ actually is and what He came to do for our benefit. And an understanding of this leads to a proper confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so it's in this context that we should understand this love. And so then we come to this question. Getting the context, it seems to me that this is important. Getting the context, what do we say about people who appear to have great love but lack biblical understanding? I'll give you an example of this. When I was in seminary, I was approved to go to seminary through the army by the United Church of Christ. Now, anyone who knows anything about the United Church of Christ knows that today, particularly, the United Church of Christ, the old congregational church from the Northeast, is pretty much a Unitarian church. I mean, this is what it has devolved to come. And I was locked into an army program to become a chaplain. And if I had disassociated myself from my church connection, I'd immediately have been yanked out of seminary and sent back to who knows where in the army. So I didn't particularly relish that thought. I wanted to finish seminary and enter the chaplaincy. So I had this relationship with the United Church of Christ, and I was ordained in the congregational church, which is a neighbor to Fuller Theological Seminary. And the pastor of this church was my mentor to get me through my exams. And my wife and I have laughed about this more than once because when I had my exams for to be approved for ordination, the only biblical question I was asked in my exam was by a little lady who had was a member of the congregation and who had asked, permission to be present uh, in the examination, and uh, she raised her hand and was recognized by the uh, moderator, and she asked a question, and her question was, Mr. Prudo, will you be allowed to have Bible studies in the Army? And that was the closest we got to the Bible. Uh, and you sigh when you hear the, these kinds of things. But at any rate... The pastor of the congregation through which I was ordained was one of the most loving and gracious men I have ever met. And he was always very helpful to me and very gracious to me. And when he read my paper, the paper I had to write, a doctrinal paper, that uh, involved uh, my ordination. Uh, one of the paragraphs in the doctrinal paper uh, uh, stated that 
Uh, I believe that civil government was ordained by God. Uh, Romans 13, that uh, God, as Paul has said, has ordained uh, these things, uh, civil government. And uh, Pastor Held, was his name, uh, said to me, uh, when he read my paper, he said, well, I'd, I, I'd delete that paragraph from uh, your paper. I, uh, I said to him, well, why? He said, well, I think Paul was mistaken at that point. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so uh, I thought about this many times over the years. And so you have to ask the question, was this fellow a Christian? And my response to that question is, I don't know. I don't know. And that is an honest response. And years later, when we had John Gershner speak in our congregation at Sterling, and we got to know him. Uh, we remember on one occasion that uh, he he spoke of uh, people whom he called muddle-headed saints. He said they don't have uh, their understanding of uh, Scripture together properly, uh, but in the end... Uh, they're very likely Christians, and he called them muddle-headed saints. And uh, there are not a few muddle-headed saints wandering around in this world. <laughs> uh, probably more than we would uh, uh, likely uh, understand. Uh, but, but I think we have to take that seriously. Not everybody has a, a crisp uh, theological understanding of everything th uh, that is written in the Bible. And we can point the finger at each one of ourselves in this regard, that uh, uh, not all of us have a crisp understanding of all the things theologically and biblically that uh, we find uh, in the Bible. And that's one reason why we uh, are in church every week, as our pastor has rightly told us, to, so that we're uh, continually learning and understanding and refining our own understanding uh, of Scripture. And uh, uh, so I, I say uh, this, is there the possibility of the muddle-headed saint? Yes, I think, think there is. And uh, so we should understand uh, that this is the case and weigh these kinds uh, of things. And uh, along this line, I, I ask the question, can a Catholic be a Christian? And uh, some, would, some would just draw back and say, well, oh, no, that's not, that's not possible. And uh, uh, then I uh, refer to uh, a, a football player by the name of Roger Staubach. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember him, and, uh, and I remember him because he was a Heisman Trophy winner and was quarterback for Navy when I was uh, at uh, West Point. And uh, during that period, we never won an Army-Navy game. There's someone in the back here that's smiling who has some Navy background. <laughs> the, uh, 
Uh, but uh, Roger Staubach was an avid member of uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and was a leader uh, in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And anyone who knows very much about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes know that uh, they press the gospel on uh, uh, young athletes and uh, these these fellows know the gospel, and they learn the gospel. And uh, it's like navigators and other programs where they they teach athletes to live uh, for Christ. And as I say, Roger Staubach was an avid member of the uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and <clears throat> I, I don't know why. So, you know, there's no answer to this question. He was. He was raised in the Catholic Church and never left the Catholic Church. And so uh, th there are uh, many testimonies like this. Uh, is it possible for a Catholic to be a Christian? I would say yes, it is, you see. Uh, so uh, I think we have to take care uh, uh, that we uh, uh, don't make severe judgments uh, immediately about individuals. And especially in our own midst, we need to take care about making judgments about individuals. Love, as described in the Scriptures and as defined in the Scriptures, is the normative sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of individuals. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a chance for questions to come, all right? Uh, I'll give you a chance for questions here in, in just a little bit. Uh, so, uh, 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 this said, I, I want to uh, uh, move on. Uh, the, uh, the handout I, I gave you looks a little imposing. Uh, it's not uh, as imposing uh, as it looks. And so I say in number five, 1 Corinthians 13.12 seems to contradict my understanding of the perfect uh, of verse 10. Uh, when the perfect comes, and I'm saying the perfect uh, uh, indicates Scripture, the perfect Scripture. And uh, our text is, I know in part, uh, then I shall be, uh, know fully, even as I have been fully known. Uh, number six, the word translated now, fully, no fully or fully known, it's the same word. Uh, uh, one is in the passive. Means to recognize, to understand, to acknowledge, or to have a more exact knowledge. Uh, it refers to a more exact knowledge or understanding gained by ordinary means. See, this is one of the striking things about uh, the word uh, that the Apostle Paul uses here. Uh, it's the the word to know uh, in uh, Greek uh, with a prefix. Uh, and often this is the case, that uh, words are altered in meaning by uh, the addition of uh, certain prefixes. And this is what's happening in this word uh, to know or to be fully uh, known, as it's uh, translated often in the English. So uh, verse 12 might be understood as follows. I know in part, then I shall know more exactly. In other words, 
when I have the Bible available to me, when uh, I have the Scriptures given to me and I study the Scriptures and use the Scriptures as my standard, I may know things more exactly using the standard of Scripture. And uh, uh, this, this is part of the idea of love, that I understand what love is more exactly when I come to grips with how it's uh, defined in Scripture and how it's described in Scripture and how it's exemplified in Scripture. And uh, so we come back uh, to this idea of Scripture. Now I know in part, uh, uh, then I shall know more exactly. Now, uh, you might ask the question, what about the word know in the first part of the verse? I know in part. See, there's the word without the prefix. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Without uh, the, the prefix, which alters the meaning of the word uh, a little bit. And uh, uh, so this is the idea. I know in part, then I shall know more exactly, even as I have been more exactly known. That uh, part of what happens to us is, see, when we when we examine uh, individuals, I'll, I'll use this uh, uh, on the level of uh, individuals be exa- being examined for communicant church membership in our circles. See, when uh, uh, individuals appear before the session, and if you're a member of the church, you've appeared before the session as I have. And uh, I've been on the other side, of course, of, of conducting the examination. Uh, but uh, we're not capable of looking into a person's heart and uh, asking the question and satisfying uh, ourselves uh, by our special uh, vision. Uh, we're not uh, privileged of looking into a person's heart and determining if they're born again. We have to use the criteria of Scripture. Do they make what we call a credible profession of faith, a believable profession of faith? And we use the standard of the Bible to determine whether or not uh, this profession of faith is credible or uh, believable, you you see. Uh, We have to have a standard, and the standard comes out of the Bible. And uh, this is important for us to understand. And so we are known more exactly. It seems to me that's the kind of uh, uh, thing that, that's being spoken of here. And so we're back to Scripture. Now, uh, I've given you uh, in uh, the handout uh, a long list of Scriptures. Okay, So uh, I want you to look... Uh, go through these with me, and I've, I've purposely uh, given them to you on a handout. And if you don't have a handout, it might be good for you to, to have one uh, so you can, uh, can look at it. Uh, but at any rate, uh, a study of our Word will validate this understanding. And uh, first of all, uh, I go through 1 Corinthians and look up this same word, uh, that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, in other uh, contexts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.37, If anyone is a prophet or a spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's command. Okay, 
To me, it's quite striking that immediately what Paul is speaking about here are things that Paul has written and that we're to recognize things that Paul has written. Now, there's some spiritual discernment here. I wouldn't deny that. But the tie is to what Paul has written. Here the word is translated recognize. And the interesting point is that Paul wants the Corinthians to recognize certain things from what he has written. He wants them to recognize the Lord's commandment. The word Paul uses means to have a more exact knowledge. This is the idea. It does not refer to full or comprehensive knowledge. The word is often translated recognize, and in this case it is used with reference to knowledge possessed uh, in this world. And I make this point uh, because uh, sometimes uh, the idea is, well, you don't have this full knowledge until we are translated from this world into heaven where you know fully. Well, I've already uh, said you're not going to come to the place where even in heaven where you're going to know fully. Right? You're going to know things more exactly. I think this is true. And you're going to continue to learn uh, yeah, you see, First uh, Corinthians sixteen eighteen. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. There's the word acknowledge. The word translated acknowledge is our word. Here, the Corinthians are to recognize the labors of Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, uh, and Achaeus as fruitful. These men are to be acknowledged through uh, subjection to them. Again, the word has to do with a more exact knowledge of people and knowledge uh, in this world and life. You have a more exact knowledge of these individuals. Recognize who they are, you see. Uh, number three, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.13, For I write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. Uh, there's the word. And I hope you will understand until the end. The word understand is our word. In this case, the Corinthians are to read uh, the letter Paul writes and gain understanding. They are to gain a more exact knowledge of the various subject he addresses. Once again, we have earthly knowledge see, gathered by ordinary means, see, I, I would add, uh, uh, rather than heavenly knowledge. Second uh, Corinthians 6.9 as unknown, yet well known. As dying, yet behold, we live. As punished, yet not put to death. Paul was, quote, well known. Although he was not uh, fully known by his enemies, I'm making the distinction here, he was not fully known by his enemies. They recognized him. And uh, as a result, they despised him and fought him. He was known very well. That is, known exactly. Here is the exact knowledge exercised by enemies of the cross. It is not knowledge received only in heaven. Second uh, Corinthians 13.5 Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Again, our word is translated recognized. Believers in this life are to put themselves to the test. 
Their lives are to reflect the love of God. Specific outward manifestations are to be present. They stem from the life of Christ residing in them. Because of the criterion set forth by the Apostle Paul and by the Apostle John, believers should recognize or have a more uh, exact knowledge about themselves. Uh, Need I mention that this knowledge uh, possessed by the believer is in this life? This is knowledge we have about ourselves now, in this life. And, and, And this is very striking. Test yourselves. Uh, does Jesus Christ actually live in you? And and if you're like me, uh, you, you've had periods in your life. Life is like this, isn't it? Move up, move down, move up, move down. And you've had periods in your life, as I have, uh, where you have to step back and you say. Am I really a Christian? Do I know Jesus Christ? I've just gone through a period where it doesn't seem that way, and I'm not acting particularly like a Christian ought to act. And I have to step back and say, well, what's happened in my life? Is there a confession that comports with Scripture? Is what has happened to me in my life what Scripture describes about a person who has been born again? And you go back and you test yourself and you examine yourself. I think this is the idea. And you look at your life and uh, the testimony of others, etc., etc., etc. And it's very helpful uh, to periodically be able to do this. It's not just a a subjective test where I say, well, I feel uh, in my heart, uh, but there's some standards by which you can test yourself. Uh, Scripture. Uh, Colossians 1.6, which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Again, our word is understood. References to the knowledge of the gospel. Uh, the New American Standard Bible margin translates the word came really to know. Uh, I thought that was pretty striking. Came really to know. Uh, when the Colossians gained a more exact knowledge of the gospel, and understood it, that same gospel bore fruit in their midst. And this is part of what has to happen to you and me, isn't it? We have to come to a more exact knowledge of the gospel. What are the ramifications of the gospel? What happens to people? How are they changed? A more exact knowledge of the gospel. And... uh, Uh, a more exact knowledge of the gospel, as Paul is putting it here, has huge ramifications in all of life. And uh, uh, this is how we should uh, uh, gather it. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.3 Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods 
which God created to be gratefully shared in, the, in by those who believe and know the truth. We are to know the truth. We are to have an exact knowledge of the truth. This is not comprehensive knowledge, but it is correct knowledge. It is knowledge we are to possess now. And it reminds me of a statement our pastor made with regard, I think it was with regard to Sinclair Ferguson, who whose testimony was, part of my problem in preaching is I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't have a comprehensive Knowledge of the Bible. What are you going to say? Well, St. Clair Ferguson says, I don't know the Bible well enough. That puts me in my place, <laughs> you, you see. Uh, uh, we have to have a more exact knowledge uh, of these things. And uh, this is what uh, this word is getting at. And it does not wait until heaven. This is part of the dynamic uh, in the text. So, uh, I say at the bottom of the page, what we have learned so far, uh, uh, allow me to suggest, uh, given what we have learned so far, allow me to suggest a couple alternative translations of, to uh, 1 Corinthians 13.12. And uh, I've already given these to you, but uh, again, uh, then I shall know exactly, just as I have been exactly known, or perhaps then I shall recognize others just as I have been recognized by others or by Scripture. And I ask the question now, have I taken too much liberty with the text? I want to put myself to the test here. And I don't think so. Paul's use of the word with which we are concerned in other passages leads us to the suggested translations. Furthermore, if the suggested translations are, are accurate, 1 Corinthians 13.12 does not refer to knowledge in heaven. And we have another confirmation of the interpretation I am suggesting. Okay. So uh, uh, w- with that, uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13 uh, again. Uh, verse 8 and following, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass, a, pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, that is, when the perfect word of God is given to us, the complete canon the completion of Scripture, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And in interpreting this uh, portion of the text, I use the example of uh, how uh, Paul uh, deals with uh, ancient Israel, that Ancient Israel was a child, and the law was meant to mentor the child Israel and bring the child Israel to Christ. And when the child Israel was brought to Christ, the childish ways of the past, 
obviously, putting it this way, of the Old Testament ceremonies were no longer needed. This is part of the dynamic of Scripture. For now we see in a mirror, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And I maintained last week, or when we were together last, that we see Jesus Christ face to face in Scripture. Uh, now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, uh, as I, uh, uh, I'll read it again. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Or I will know more exactly, even as I have been more exactly known. And uh, I would say this is a reference again to Scripture, you see to the Bible and uh, how we interface uh, with uh, Scripture. And uh, we'll get to then, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And uh, so I'm arguing uh, through this word study that Uh, We can uh, properly understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here uh, to the perfection as a reference to the perfection of Scripture, of uh, knowing things more exactly and being known uh, more exactly as we uh, interface with Scripture. Now, it's striking, isn't it? Uh, Because... uh, This has been your experience uh, sitting in the congregation uh, as well as it has been my experience sitting in the congregation. That uh, whether it's uh, this uh, congregation or another, uh, during the reading of the Scriptures or in the preaching of the Word, all of a sudden, the arrow comes and zap <laughs> right in the heart. And uh, you're saying to yourself, how did you know that about me, Pastor? And it's not that uh, Pastor Ferris or Pastor Prudo or some other pastor knows this about you. It's that the Word of God penetrates to the depths of Uh, our being and reveals the secrets of our hearts. This is what the Bible tells us. And we are known more exactly by the Word of God. And and it often staggers us when this is the case. And so I submit to you that, again, this kind of a word study... Uh, affirms the direction that uh, I have been going. And uh, I'm not going to take time to go through the rest of uh, those uh, passages. Uh, The rest of the passages that I've given to you come from the book of Acts. And uh, the standard way to do this uh, kind of word study is to, uh, first of all, if it's a word that the Apostle Paul uses, then... uh, uh, go to the same book that Paul uses that word in, 
First uh, Corinthians, and then go to other letters that Paul has written. And then uh, a third step would be uh, go to texts uh, that uh, are most closely associated with the Apostle Paul. Well, Luke is a compatriot of the Apostle Paul and labored with the Apostle Paul. So the next logical place to go with the word study would be the book of Acts. See, how does Dr. Luke utilize this word? And uh, uh, you'll discover the same sort of thing when you uh, look at uh, Dr. Luke. Uh, for example, uh, I'll just uh, take you here. Uh, at the very bottom of the page, or the next to the last paragraph in, uh, uh, on the back of the page, uh, in every case in the book of Acts, the word in question has to do with a more exact knowledge gained through ordinary means. Uh, this use of the word is confirmed uh, by Luke 1.4. Why did Luke write his gospel? So that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Luke wanted people like us to have an exact knowledge of the history concerning Jesus Christ. See, there's the concept again. It's very clear. And uh, so then... Uh, uh, we can go to the last paragraph. Now again, uh, look at Matthew 6, uh, 7, 16, and 20. You will know them by their fruits, and so then you will know them by their fruits. How are believers and unbelievers to be known more exactly? We examine their fruit. This is exactly the point in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. How was Paul known? He was known by his fruit. Uh, how did he know others more exactly? He knew others by their fruit. He recognized other Christians by their fruit. And uh, now, you see, we have the uh, Word of God which is given to us, which exactly describes for us the fruit <laughs> that we should look at to know others more exactly. Uh, this, this is the idea. Uh, he recognized other Christians by their fruit. The primary fruit is love. Paul having a more exact understanding of true Christian affections could then identify more exactly those affections within himself and others. When we have a more exact understanding of love through the perfect Word of God, we can recognize the fullness of the Spirit. We can grasp true Christian affections more thoroughly. We can know just as we are known. We can recognize just as we are recognized. Uh, the proposed interpretation of 1 Corinthians 13.12 is therefore justified. See, that would be my conclusion. And so, love again is the preeminent evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Love as described and defined in Scripture for you and for me. And to understand this, to me, is not only helpful, but it's quite powerful as we interact with one another. Okay, I promised a time for questions. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank You. We are all feeble in our understanding of uh, the life uh, into which you have been pleased to place us. We 
uh, lack an adequate understanding of your word. And uh, so we wrestle with these matters. And uh, we desire to be right with you and have a right understanding of Scripture. And uh, we do pray that uh, we would be individuals who love one another, that we would be individuals who uh, care for one another, and that uh, love would be made manifest. And uh, in, in this way, uh, we would be known and uh, more exactly known by others. Uh, we pray that this would be a testimony for uh, our own lives and for our congregation. So uh, bless us to this end, we pray. And as we, uh, in the next couple of weeks, pursue these matters uh, uh, more fully, we pray that you'd be pleased to bless and strengthen us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.